Welcome back, everyone. This is episode number 34 of the Romans Empire podcast. After a spineless, toothless second half display, Chelsea fall yet again as they drop their ninth point in their last possible 15 in the Premier League. Is it time to panic, Chelsea fans? Do we still have a chance to qualify for Champions League next season and finish top four? Why the fuck does Chelsea Football Club continue to be the most unpredictable team in the top flight in terms of performances? Why can't Chelsea fans just know what they're going to get, for God's sake? We have all the answers. Well, not really, but we try our best to make sense of all the bullshit. Welcome to the Romans Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Except for today, where a few players deserve a proper coding off. Right, Sam? Absolutely. How do you like the added touch of the intro, by the way? Uh, I mean, you're no Stanford chitch, but... uh. I gotta say, <laughs> it's it, it's a it's a nice it's it's a nice touch because I think our 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 intros have been pretty uh, lackluster, spineless and toothless, as you as you said. Ah, <laughs> nice word choice. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It See, just came to me. So, so you think it's better than just a yawn? <laughs> I mean, it depends how boring of a of a weekend it's been. But obviously, I don't. This, this weekend was not. Uh, it was definitely not boring. It was. It wasn't. I don't. I I don't know if if this episode constitutes a yawn or just like a proper like man cry or like a or maybe a grunt. <laughs> just like a just like wailing like yeah. sitting in the fetal position sucking your thumb <laughs> type of crying. I was thinking more That's of like, how I felt. like a grunt like God damn it. like uh, not again oh, not again um but. I mean, if if those of you listening at home haven't figured it out by now, we are uh, not particularly happy with uh, this past weekend's performance against Man United. Um, so, I mean, just to start off this uh, episode, just a quick outline. We're, we're going to go over the Man United uh, match, and then after we actually uh, talk to our good friend Joseph from the Balls to the Walls podcast. Uh, he's a Man City fan, and we previewed that match with him, so... Um, for yeah. for anybody that like lives across the pond or even for people that are in the states like he's a proper american football podcast like he talks about the whole entire premier league not just man city like obviously that's his preference but like he from he always speaks from like a very non-biased perspective and always breaks out like stats and analytics so if you're into that like go and check him out go follow him on twitter like he's a really good friend of our pod and uh like we, we plan on having him um we, we we definitely plan on having him back in the future, right, Sam? Yeah, he um, he's definitely like well versed, like a quaint quaint kind of gentleman, you know, just like very very nice yeah, guy. Very he's nice. a gentleman, huh? He's yeah. a gentleman. Very yeah. like it's, just, it's like a very I don't know, it's like an old fashioned kind of <laughs> like I don't no, know the way his voice sounds. That's a good thing because we're <laughs> yeah. we're fucking you know bunch of kids. hoodlums. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, should we get into this Man United? If Bullshit. we have to, um, face nonsense. Yeah, I mean, after you know a, a pretty decent looking first half, uh, we end up losing two one. Um, let's uh, let's just get into uh, the first point. Um, Alvaro Morata, um, the guy who's been in really poor form lately. Um, he started off uh, with a, you know, like within the worst first five minutes, um, an almost goal, um, hit the crossbar, you know, off of a beautiful, beautiful Alonzo cross. I mean, 
starting from, I think it was Eden Hazard who played it up to him, and <laughs> Alonso just volleyed it out of the air and got it right on the money and just a bit of bad luck for Murata. And, uh, I mean, that wasn't his only spell of bad luck this match. I mean, later in the game, he, late in the game, he gets called offsides on a goal that should, in my opinion, should not have been disallowed. Um, it was way too close to, to make a call, I think, live. And um, we got unlucky. He got unlucky. Um, he could have had two goals this match, but um, again, his 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 drought continues. Um, Zach, I just want to ask you: Do you think he's being uh, unfairly criticized right now? Well, uh, I mean, as a lot of our listeners know, like I, I'm mainly in control of the Twitter banter, especially during matches. This, this, um, was, a good weekend. this was a good weekend for our Twitter account. By oh the way. my god, it was amazing! But. Um, <laughs> During the match, uh, and immediately after, I went off because of all the fucking boo boys um, who are still bitching and moaning about losing Diego Costa. Like, okay, it's it's so fucking simple, man. Like, he's gone. He was never going to stay regardless of Conte's text, so you can't pull that bullshit on me. And every week there, every week he was at Chelsea, there was a new report about him being on his way out or not being happy. The bastard didn't even learn how to speak English in three years. <laughs> so, like, if you're going to come and, 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 and try to spin this on me and say Conte got Diego Costa out, like, no, 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 no. Diego Costa won it out a long, long time ago. The only reason why he still put in a shift for Chelsea while he won it out is because that's how his DNA is. This guy's from the fucking streets of Brazil, from all the favelas. Like, that That guy's used to playing street soccer. He, does, he hates losing. He hates – he he loves competition. He loves getting down and dirty. Anyways, I'm done with Diego Costa. That's that, okay? Going back to the original question, and this is my first – this is the first of many rants that I have this fucking episode, okay? I think Alvaro Morata deserves much of the criticism. But with that being said, he should not be criticized because he's not Diego Costa or Drogba. Like, like that's nonsense. A lot of these Chelsea fans that go on Twitter and talk shit and, and, and tap the hell out of their cell phones and, 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 and type fucking all caps and, you know, Murata go die and this and that. Like, no, no, no. You guys haven't watched GDA Drogba when he first came to Chelsea. This dude was flopping all over the place. Fans were on his ass. Fans were booing him off the pitch. You guys did not see Fernando Torres. <laughs> you guys did not see how... You know, he was getting constantly ridiculed and shat on by the Chelsea faithful. But tell me what both of those guys have in common. Fernando Torres started – Fernando Torres was in our Champions League squad when we won the final, right? He scored a goal against Barcelona that year, so fuck you. DDA Drogba, do I even need to talk about him? I mean I'm at like a – I'm at like this – Lost for words because fans are so quick to criticize and judge. Yes, I watch him play. I see the same things you guys see. I see a player that is soft mentally and soft physically. He's petty and he has a childish mentality. One bump off the ball or one foul call that goes unnoticed and his head's gone. I see that. I, I completely understand that. But it does not justify you to stop supporting a Chelsea player. I don't care if I have a if I have the neighborhood drunk put on a Chelsea kit and go out and play against Barcelona in the second leg of the Champions League. I'm going to fucking cheer for that guy regardless of how good or bad he is because he's wearing Chelsea blue. 
If a player is wearing our colors, you should not boo him. That's the end of that. But going back to Morata, why does he spend every waking moment on the pitch rolling around on the floor and bitching at the ref? Like, I don't get it. It's it's the Premier League, man. Sack the fuck up. The referees know that you have a track record of diving. They know that you came from Spain, which is a pretty physically soft league. They know you're looking for a foul. They just – they won't call it now because they know every time someone gets near you and lays a finger on you, you're going to fall to the floor and grab your face like someone just attacked you. We have 10 games left in the season, and he's still pulling that shit. There's no way – and this is where my criticism of Murata comes in. The coaching staff has to take some ownership in the way that he goes out onto the field and the way he expresses himself because we have 10 games left in the season, and he's still pulling this shit. How do you not pull him off the side, off to the side at the training ground and say, hey, Alvaro, like, come on, man. Come on. It's no more flopping. <laughs> Stay on your feet. Fight like a man. If you lose the ball, that's fine. You got to get used to the physicality. But this falling around, rolling on the floor nonsense, like you just got attacked by by a by a crazy witch. Like it doesn't it doesn't do anything. Somebody has to see that and just be like, no more. The fact that it's persistent and predictable is a complete shame. And like I hate coding off players some, and you know that. And I always – like I just jumped on people for coding Murata off. But there's a difference between coding someone off for a match or two or coding them off for one particular thing as opposed to just completely writing them off six months into their Chelsea career. His mental fortitude is that of styrofoam, right? <laughs> And I think I think that's something we could all agree on. It's something that he all needs to work on. But to go and say that he's shit and to go and say that we wasted money and to go and say that he doesn't deserve to be wearing Chelsea blue, that's that's nonsense. Homeboy had six months in the Premier League. He hardly had any time to adapt. He struggled with injuries. He only played 70-something games in the five years prior to this. He's not well-versed. He's not, he's not as experienced as people think he is. We have to give him time. There's a player in there. That's undeniable. We're just waiting for him to come out. Boom, uh, mic drop. As uh, I think, I think you should just drop your mic right now. Um, should I? <laughs> should I just like throw it on the floor? No, I think uh, the fans at home can just imagine that um, in their heads because these are pretty expensive mics. I don't want to have to buy another one. <laughs> we got them on sale for like thirty bucks, man. <laughs> this is actually a little bit cheaper than that, probably. But no, uh, I think I both just... of them were thirty bucks. You <laughs> <laughs> want people to think that we're professional, okay, Zach? Um, so I just want to I want to address a couple things that you said um, in this rant. Uh, first of all, uh, wow, attacked by a crazy witch. That's that's what you that's what you thought of. <laughs> He's I, rolling I was, around the ground and being attacked by a crazy witch. I've never heard anyone. I just, I just it saw like, like some, I just saw some <laughs> gypsy lady beating him with like an unknown like like stem of like a of a or, or branch of like a, a random tree, just mm -hmm. like smacking the shit out of him, cussing him out in Slavic or something like that. You know, I don't know. Yeah, there's the, the, you know those those traditional Slavic witches. Um, but uh, another <laughs> thing I wanna, I wanna just mention. Quickly, you you talk you talk about Fernando Torres in that Champions League match, but and you know you ended up talking about Didier Drogba and didn't even mention his amazing you know performance in the Champions League final where he scored the equalizer goal in like the 80th minute or something. He was the he was the hero of the, of the final. Um, uh, you know we had we had Fernando Torres be the hero of the semifinal. And Drogba was the hero of the final. He scored the the game tying goal, and then I think he scored the last penalty to, to win it for us. Um, just absolute legend. And um, I, I I think I I just 
I mean, I brought them up because it's case in point. Like, eventually these guys do come good. And eventually, you know, with the right amount of nurturing and time and patience um, and without acting like spoiled bitch football fans, they will come good eventually. Like, now, it's... I'm, lo- I'm looking at this article. It's, it's on BBC Sports Football. It was written in uh, March of 2006. Um, this was, I think, Drogba's second year or third year on the team. Um, he's the article says that the headline is Drogba's uncle warns the boo boys. Um, Didier Drogba's uncle says the Ivory Coast striker could be forced out of the uh, Stamford Bridge club by jeering Chelsea fans. Um, history tends to repeat itself uh, if we don't learn from it. Uh, obviously, you know Drogba didn't end up leaving, but um, I think that Chelsea fans need to kind of uh you know pace just control themselves a little bit because Morata is has the potential to be you know very special talent and yeah he he is coming from a softer league and um I think a lot of his his issues for like in my opinion um they can be corrected with coaching right I mean it and I don't understand why it hasn't like for example I whenever he's receiving the ball um he, he didn't do this always but he seems to he's like I see him like leaning into the defender trying to steal him off when receiving the ball and then acting surprised that they just take the ball away from him and the ref doesn't call anything when he gets knocked down um you know that kind of that kind of play I mean he's a big guy and that's going to work in um in Spain and it could work in Italy as well for some against some teams um but it's not going to work in the Premier League with the physicality uh, of the defenders that play in our league. Um, I think that when he's receiving the ball, I mean, he has to create a bit of separation. You know, you have to create a bit of separation between yourself and the defender in order to receive a ball like that. And I think that this is something that can be corrected uh, by coach by the coaching staff. Um, so, and I don't, and I think that it's impossible at this point that the coaching staff hasn't talked to him about it yet. Um, what do you what do you what do you think about that? I mean, I mentioned it in my rant. Like, I think that's I think people are mistaking the way Murata. I mean, okay, I mean, they're not mistaking it, but I'm trying to figure out a way to just phrase this to sound, you know, logical in a sense. So yeah, Murata does fall on the floor and he flops and he dives. But for him to be doing it this long, it's beyond his fault now. Like the coaching staff has to look at it and take responsibility. It's not it's not me putting doubt in Conte's ability to get the best out of Murata. That's not what it is whatsoever. But the fact that this is this is happening every single match. It's not just one match here or one match there. It's not like a Diego Costa situation where, oh, his head's visibly gone and now he's just gonna flop every time he gets the ball. Because Diego Costa used to do that, you know, whenever his head would go. Whenever someone would get under his skin. He would fall to the floor, grab his face, and act like, you know, he got attacked by a spider monkey. But Murata's a little different. <laughs> so from uh, being attacked by a crazy witch to a spider monkey, okay. To a spider monkey. I think Perfect. that's more fitting. But 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 Murata does it every single time. And the sad thing with Murata is that he's not even – sometimes he does it with people that aren't even center backs. Sometimes he gets mixed up with a midfielder or a right back or a left back and gets completely manhandled. There's been points in this season, especially when he first came to Chelsea, where he was actually holding off defenders and putting in a shift. Yeah, and he, he was. For, yeah, so – and I think that's the reason why Chelsea fans are frustrated is because he kind of hit the ground running in England for his first you know, seven or eight matches. 
and, you know, scoring some beautiful headed goals, fighting off defenders, his link up play. We're all thinking, wow, we finally have a striker who's technical, who could hold the ball up, who could link up play, who could finish in the air. And then he just completely disappears. And like, I know there was reports of his friend passing away in a car accident. Um, I know his, I know his wife is pregnant. Um, I know he's still trying to get acclimated to life here in London, but I mean, give me a break already. You know, this is something that it's, it's as simple as this. You pull him off to the side during training. You show him a, a little montage of all his dives and how idiotic and stupid he looks. And you say, quit it. That's it. I mean, it's that simple. So, I mean, maybe I'm being a bit naive. Maybe there's more to it, but at least for me, like, that's as a coach that's just so irritating to sit there and watch i mean it kind of it kind of blends into our next question because i was going to get into it anyways um but i think we should give Giroud a run out next match um i don't i don't like the idea of playing with a false nine and we we did dive into it um with joseph from balls to the wall in part two when we talk about the city preview but like Giroud gets in there and he gets and he mixes it up i mean there was a play where Murata was rolling around on the floor like a prepubescent, like a prepubescent child, right? And and in the meantime, Giroud is on the byline fighting off two Man United defenders while he's on his ass, and he's still flinging his foot at the ball, trying to win it. Like that's the kind of fight, and that's the kind of grit that fans love. They love that. I don't care if you're a crap footballer, a good footballer, a semi-decent footballer. If you go out onto the pitch and you fight and you scrap and, and, and you make heads roll and you fucking piss off the other team and get and get right in there, fans are going to love you immediately. And it's, it, I know it's easier said than done some, but for me personally, like Giroud would be such a better option in this game just because he could hold up play and allow Hazard and Willian to run past him to spring the counterattack. And not only that, Giroud is also clinical. We finally have uh, a backup striker that could contribute in more than more ways than one, as opposed to Michi, who was just good for a goal every now and then. But Giroud could hold up the ball. He's able to link up play, and he's a threat in the air. And Joseph mentioned this. He thinks John Stones and, and Otamendi are probably going to be the starters if he had to take a guess. I mean, Otamendi's decent in the air, but he's pretty short. Mm-hmm. I take Giroud. In that matchup with either one of them all day long. Oh yeah. So, I mean, if it was me personally, I'd go Giroud, and you know, I, I think Morata just needs to sit on the bench. He needs to take a look at a striker who's experienced, who's been around the block, and you know, he needs to have someone of the coaching staff sitting next to him and saying, "This, this, and this. These are the things that you need to do. This is what we're missing. These are the things that you could do to contribute to give yourself a better chance to be on the pitch." Because Giroud knows damn well that he's not the first that, that that he's not the first striker. He knows that. I mean, at 31 years mm-hmm. old, you're not. You could you're fool not gonna... me. I mean, the way that he's he's been playing and the way that Murata's playing, he seems like yeah. he's the best striker on the team. Yeah, of course, but you know, it's it's just a matter of similarly to the way that they're, they're treating Bakioko, where he's not really injured, but they're telling us he is, um, and you know, they're really just giving him a, a mental break. I think they need to do the same thing with Murata. These are guys that come from leagues that don't have winter breaks. They're guys that – I mean Bakioko only played one full season, so he doesn't have too much wear and tear on his legs. But Murata has none whatsoever, and I mean that in the worst way possible because I, I think it was the, I think it was on the Chelsea um, where they were mentioning 
um, how Giroud only has 73 or 74 uh, total senior appearances or senior starts um, in five years. And, uh, excuse me, Murata. And, I mean, that just kind of tells it all. This is not a guy who's who's the finished product. There's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot of potential that's been untapped. And there's a lot of things that he still needs to come to grips with, one of them being the physicality of the Premier League. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's been just this whole season's been a big just mental battle for both uh, the strikers and um you know Chelsea fans as far as just getting a, a solid striker in there um Giroud's been very good for us so far i mean he's he's he hasn't had a bad start yet or you know bad appearance yet but uh let's see let's see how that works out um so let's let's get back into this uh to this match um so Antonio Conte um he made a couple suspect substitutions in my opinion and in the opinion of uh, one uh, goalkeeper um, that I won't mention um, on our team, uh, so you know we we, we who our our goalkeeper or Real Madrid's goalkeeper? It's it's pretty much the same person at this point. Um, Antonio Conte. Um, so we 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 dominated the first half. Uh, it looked like I mean a dreadful United side looked like they were just like for the taking. Like it, it, we we it looked like this was kind of our match uh, for the taking at that point. Um, but for some reason um, we set up incredibly pragmatic in the second half. And, um, you know, Conte has come under fire for the setup and uh, for the fact that he didn't, he didn't go for it against United with, you know, as he had a very questionable uh, substitution strategy, um, which is surprising, especially as, uh, after what seemed like a masterclass against Barcelona, um, you know, in this game he he pulled hazard in uh i think it was around the 70 75th minute um when it was still we were still tied um and it just doesn't didn't seem like this was a i i, I say this kind of uh we're thinking again that you know antonio conte has had a lot of just suspect um just decisions as far as uh the the team to deploy and you know he's made some bad substitutions throughout the season, but um, as of recently, it's just surprising. Um, what did do you think he got it wrong this time? It's an understatement completely. Yeah. Um, look, I I love Antonio Conte more than anybody, and you know every one of our listeners or followers on Twitter know that I'm always the first one to come to his defense. But I mean, good God, I mean, did he bottle it against United? I don't know what it is, but it just seems like he struggles to make the proper changes on the fly. Um, I mean, taking off Hazard was just nonsense. Um, regardless of how tired or fatigued he is, unless he's unless he picked up a knock or an injury, he needs to be on the pitch because he's our magic man. And if we're trying to win, your best player needs to be on the pitch. Um, why Murata didn't come off is the bigger question for me. Like, and, and I alluded to it earlier. And the clip is actually out on Twitter where it shows Giroud fighting off two United players and Murata sitting on the floor with his hands barking at the ref, with his hands up barking at the ref. And you know, it's it just makes no sense to me that someone that could make such great uh, tactical um, and you know or, or, or such great tactical setups prior to matches and going into matches can't make these changes on the fly and and it's not and and they're not changes that would be gambles they're not changes that would be 
unheard of. I mean, these are changes that every single fan watching is thinking as well. Yeah, it's kind of like a common um, sense kind of thing you'd think. Yeah, and you know, like another one to mention is like uh, when he pulled off Victor Moses. Like that was a solid. I mean, that was a good move. Like pull off Victor Moses. He was having a shocker, but the fact that he brought on Giroud in his place. I mean, it made sense at face value, but he still opted to play three four three. And it didn't make sense to me. Like, why not just go four four two with Giroud and 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 Hazard up top if he kept Hazard in? Like, if you're chasing a match, get two of your lumpy strikers up there, get two of your wingers out wide, and just fucking cross the ball in the box. I mean, sometimes it's that simple. The thing that irritated me most about the way he subbed this game is that United was there for the taking. They were this is this was a shit United team. And I refuse to believe that this United team was anywhere near um, any of Sir Alex's teams. They were completely um, mortal. Like they they were crap. Like I I don't know how else to explain it without using like these bland like like subjective adjectives. But like they were shit. Like they're a shit team. And you know it's just so mind boggling to me that. He would keep Maratha in there and pull Hazard off. Like the second the board went up, I'm like, all right, it's either Maratha or Willian is off. Most like I, I'd want it to be Maratha, but you know, knowing Conte, he might pull Willian and just get Pedro in there just for some extra legs and energy. And he pulls off our best player. You know, it's just I don't think, and and I, I might be going out on a limb saying this, and it's off script, but like I. I actually think that Conte is starting to doubt his own his own abilities on the sideline. Like I think that he's genuinely out of ideas sometimes. And part of that goes down to the squad that he has because yes, the squad is very thin and his options are limited. But another part of that is maybe maybe that fire's just gone. Like we don't see that same energetic feisty Conte. Like if this if this match was played in the first 3 or 4 games of the season, you would have heard Antonio Conte's voice barking on the sideline the whole entire 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't hear him once against United. I mean, every single time the, the 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 camera panned to him, he'd sit there with his arms crossed and, you know, just like just like that smug look on his face like I really don't want to be here or or I know my time is almost up. Um it's concerning. You know, and, and he even mentioned it too, like his daughter's I think it was his daughter that told him, like she doesn't like it when he when he's when he's quiet on the sidelines because it means that her dad's not happy. And I, you know, just the fact that he mentioned that in a press conference and brought that to the public, I mean, what does that tell you? He's not happy. You know, he he wasn't this cynical last year. He wasn't going out in the press and saying, you know, or last year he was going out in the press and saying, you know, we're, in, we're still in a good position. We're still, you know, fighting for the title. It's a tough race. We're going to fight till the end. We're going we're gonna to put 100% effort. And this year he's just kind of conceded to the fact that, you know, our aspirations have gone downhill. Yeah, but you can't really say that this season with the way Man City's been playing. <laughs> no, no, no. I know, I know. But, but he should be going out there and he should be saying – yeah, we're going to go into this United match and we're going to beat them. We're going to go into this match and we're going to give it everything we got. We're going to limp off the field if we have to. You know, like he doesn't That's do that anymore. There's, yeah. I, I I feel like he lost that sense of battle cry. And it's hopefully, it's sad. I think hopefully he, he gets that back uh, for a second leg against uh, Barcelona. But 
Um, I want to let's talk a little bit about Willian because uh, just as a as a positive, um, I mean, oh my God, just the way he's been playing lately is his form has been in unreal. I mean, after after logging a definite man of the match performance against Barcelona, um, he puts in a eight point five performance rating uh, per whoscored.com um just just been playing out of his mind lately uh just reading off his stats four shots three on target including a goal um our only goal um and he scored our only goals um the past couple of games um eight dribbles completed one key pass and 57 total passes which you don't see very often from him with an 81 percent success rate um what are your thoughts on his performance? I mean, he's just been, I think that it, his performance speaks for itself, honestly, just his form uh, lately. He's been on a completely different level, and uh, I just see the confidence oozing out of him whenever he, he, he gets the ball uh, at a little bit at midfield and just dribbles the ball. Like, I, I don't think anyone can take it away from him. Like, my confidence in him is just, like, is, is through the roof. What do you What do you think? I mean, after I think after scoring this goal against United, I think he equaled or beat his tally in the 15-16 season, where basically he put the team on his shoulders and was the only one that gave a fuck. Um, but like, my God, man, what what a fucking player! Like, the fact that he's been riding the bench um, most of Conte's reign just seems like footballing blasphemy at its best. Um, he he's a class act, and there's no other way to put it. Um, the the thing I like about Willian, which I see more in him, and similarly to the way I see Aspilicueta and guys like uh guys like Gary Cahill, um, is he, he's Chelsea through and through. Like there's not, I don't doubt for one second that he's not willing to give absolutely everything he has for the team. And and that's a really, really important characteristic to have is because you're not looking after your well-being. You're not looking at your stat sheet. You're not looking at how many goals you score, how many assists you created, how many key passes you made. You're, you're not looking at that. He does whatever he needs to do to make sure that the team gets a result. Some matches he plays defensive. Some matches he runs his ass off and just, you know, is a workhorse. Other matches, he's scoring the odd goal. Other matches, he's creating. Sometimes he comes off the bench, a role which he struggled with at first but has has accepted in the long run um, to come in as an impact player. I mean, the guy's got it all. You need players like that if you want a team that's going to be cohesive, if you want a team that's going to fight till the end. He's the type of player you need on the pitch, and I don't see any way out of the starting 11 in these next – 10 matches, the the final 10 matches in the Premier League, um, I don't see any way that William doesn't start every single one of those um, because, I mean, just his performances the last two games just show how committed he is to the cause and how he doesn't give up and he fights till the end. And it's it's so refreshing to see someone play like that and, and especially from someone as likable as William. And and considering the year he had last year with his mother passing away and everything, yeah. I mean, it's you, just great to see him like back on top of his game. Do you remember in the beginning of the season when there was just rumors going around um, with him Mourinho possibly going, and, yeah, and possibly going to Man United? And I remember just the thing that we talked about and that this the thing that kind of gave us confidence is um, 
you know, looking at the way he played last season and, you know, how he didn't get a lot of opportunities to play, but still just like remain positive and never, never pouted, never said anything bad. It really showed his love for the team. And um, obviously he, he's, he's a blue through and through um, you, you, as you said it. And, you know, it just shows in the, in his personality, he's such a humble guy. Um, he's, he, I'm so happy to have him on our team and uh, someone who I'm not as happy to have on our team uh, lately um, is Victor Moses. <laughs> but uh, I think he, he, uh, he, he man, it's disappointing Huge because second round. He, he, it, this this is like your fourth rant actually um <laughs> so i mean and yeah we're, we're kind of going over time but uh victor moses he uh he as it's disappointing because he he did put out a pretty quality performance against barcelona and um you know he he did look decent defen- uh defensively at least in the first half but this guy he just he just somehow always finds a way to give up the ball in our key areas out wide i mean chelsea fans around the world watching the game they're just begging him begging him to just whip the ball in once i mean i have no idea what like what is going to happen with the ball i'm sorry let me take that back i know exactly what's going to happen with the ball whenever it comes to feet he's probably he's probably going to lose it um I, it's not going in the middle um do you think that it's time to give Zafacosta a run out wide. Here, here's the thing, and, and and this is where it gets very irritating. Zafacosta isn't even good enough for me. And you know, like I saw a good tweet about this, um, and you know, just talking about just bringing up Zafacosta's name reminded me of it. But it talks about Chelsea's transfer strategy, and like we look at the players we bought, um, and how they mostly replaced our outgoing transfers, and how the players we bought are actually uh, players with huge upside with, with big resale value. One of the tweets made a really good point about Zappacosta saying, we bought someone like Zappacosta for $25 million or whatever it was, and he has no resale value. And we knew that the second we purchased him, that he, he had no – like that was a panic buy. And the club just have a knack for making these shitty, you know – last minute purchases that don't work out like it blows my mind um you know he has qualities right like zapacosa does have qualities that 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 we could use um actually pace and he could put a proper ball in the box um now at face value most fans will think well hey that's all you need as a wing back but not necessarily um he lacks defensive awareness. Yes, he's good at defending when he's goal side, but he is terrible at sticking to his man and and, and following runners in behind. Um, he's not the best technically, and he doesn't impose himself on the matches that he gets called in for. Like he he always seems to put in a six out of ten or six and a half out of ten. He'll never put in a a, a performance that'll just you know make your jaw drop or he'll never be that deal breaker that Marcus Alonso is on the opposite side. <sighs> we don't have a wing back and it's sad because we went all last season playing a natural winger as a wing back makeshift Conte made it work and that's fine. That's great. That just shows how great of a manager he is, but to not go 
into the window this year and purchase someone that could possibly challenge Victor Moses for that starting role or someone that's an actual natural wingback is is insane because as I I see Zapacosta as more of a fullback personally, but hmm. just just the fact that just the fact that we don't have a natural wingback is out of it's it's nuts. And and going back to what you were saying about Victor Moses, yeah, he can cross a ball, but when he does, he literally kicks it as hard as he could about three feet up in the air, just like a bullet, like just. I mean, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago where he played a ball into the box and Giroud moved out of the way because there's, he was just like, <laughs> fuck it. There's nothing I could do with it. Like, yeah, I'm not trying to get, like, my beautiful – I'm not trying to get, like, my beautiful face, you know, smacked off by the ball. Like You took my joke straight from my mouth. Thanks a lot, Zach. I was about to say Sorry. That. But, but, like, just to continue my rant because there is something else I have to get off my chest. Time and time again, he had Ashley Young beat in a 1v1. I mean, he had Ashley Young in his pocket for large parts of the match because Ashley Young is not a defender himself. But he would beat him, and then he would miss, you know, uh, Hazard or Murata in the box for like a perfect diagonal ball, and then he would like stutter for a second. Ashley Young would get in defense, would would recover, and Victor Moses would try to beat him again, and. You're just sitting there thinking like, fuck me, man. Like if, if that was me, I just pop one right into the top, like right into the middle of the box. I wouldn't even aim. You don't even have to look. Just fling one in there and hope it finds someone. Play old school every now and then. The fact that he tries to beat defenders every single time he gets the ball drives me absolutely insane because as much as as much as people talk about it, I don't think Victor Moses is that pacey. I think he's quick in his first one or two yards, but I don't think he's pacey. I don't think he's fast per se. So when you beat a man and you get that one or two steps of separation, that's as good as it's going to get, buddy. You got to put a ball in the box. But he always expects to juke someone out and then fly down the sideline with 10, 15 yards of green grass in front of him to decide whatever he wants to do with it. That's not how it works. That's not how it works in the Premier League and at the top level. At the top level. And yes, maybe I'm being a little harsh on him because, again, he's not a wingback. But Conte's calling on you. The team's counting on you. You have to – at some point, you have to look and evaluate – your own performances and what you're contributing to the team and you have to and as a professional footballer you have to tweak it and you have to say hey maybe i could do this a little bit better maybe i could do a little bit more of that maybe i could focus more on this and i think he has done that to a certain extent defensively but offensively he's the most frustrating player on the pitch i know in the, I, I know in, it's a basketball term but in the nba um, and in the basketball world in general they use a term called a black hole which means when that guy gets the ball you're not seeing it like it's he's going to shoot yeah, or he's going to lose it. He's going to do one or the other. And that's exactly what Victor Moses does. And it just drives me absolutely insane. Some like how do we not have a right wing back? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's like I, I, I don't get it. I'm done. I'm so done with it and I'm so over it and I'm tired of backing him up and saying, you know, well, look at last season. Look how well he did. Yeah, that's great and all, but the board has to take responsibility and not purchasing someone who can step in and, and deputize in that role, someone up to par. And he, also he has to look at himself and say, hey, what am I doing differently this year as opposed to last year? Because last year, he, for me, he seemed a lot more decisive in his decision making. And this year, it just seems like he's too worried about making a mistake, and he fucks up anyways. Well, Zach, 
uh, just want to say thank you for making my job easier. Um, I didn't have to really say anything in the past uh, the 40 minutes. You did all the talking. Um, <laughs> so thanks for that. Um, oh, I think uh, I think we went a little over on this section, but um, it's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, coming up right now, we did our interview as I alluded to earlier with uh, Joseph, really nice guy, and it was a really good interview. Um, so without further ado, here's Joseph. Welcome back to part two of the Romans Empire podcast. And today we have a very special guest, um, good friend of the pod, uh, Mr. Joseph Schroeder from the Balls to the Wall podcast. Um, so we brought Joseph on basically because he's a very non-biased City fan, and uh, I know that this is mainly a Chelsea podcast, but um, he has some very good insight and, uh, you know, we always appreciate some good non-biased insight and just some proper banter from, you know, the blue part of Manchester to the blue part of London. So, um, without further ado, Joseph, how you doing, bud? I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys doing? Pretty it's, good. We're it's, doing good. It's, uh, it, it's good to finally have you on the pod. So Joseph got me on, uh, his balls to the wall podcast a while back and I always, I told him I'd return the favor and it took, uh, uh, until 10 games left in a season to do that. So it's about time. <laughs> Perfect timing. Uh, yeah, no issues. Joseph, I just want to say, first of all, congrats on the recent Carabao Cup win. I mean, it's always nice to see another team smashing on Arsenal, even though, you know, it wasn't us. It's just nice to see them get destroyed. And, you know, hopefully you guys can do it twice in a week. That would be a nice treat for us. And, uh, you know, second of all, congrats on uh, winning the Premier League as well. I mean, I know we have 10, <laughs> 10 games left, but... Uh, Congrats, man! Must must yeah, feel it's, nice. Yeah, I guess the uh, I guess the league's pretty much a done deal, and uh, yeah, the opportunity to beat Arsenal twice in one week is pretty sweet. Uh, and then yeah, winning the League Cup on top of that's just icing on the cake. Yeah, I mean, oh. first first uh, first trophy for Pep. Do you think it's going to be the? Uh, I mean, sorry, first trophy in England for Pep. Obviously, not his first trophy overall. Um, you think this is going to be a recurring theme in the next couple of seasons? I think so, man. I mean, like you said, I try to look at everything pretty with like a pretty unbiased lens. Oh, so it like, seems unlike like us, huh? Unlike us, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you guys are. I think you guys are unbiased, but I think you guys are just extremely passionate about your points, and that's the reason why I was actually attracted to your podcast in the first place, Chelsea. Not necessarily being the team that I follow on a weekly basis, day in day out, but uh, no, it's interesting nonetheless. But I think uh, I think if if this off season and even the January window spending will say anything about City's intentions for uh, you know Pep's tenure while he's on the team, it, man, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty hard for the other teams to even catch up, let alone then compete with us on a on a yearly basis. It's going to be tough. Yeah, I, mean, I like, think sorry, I think the I think De Bruyne said something in the press this week about about uh him liking the uh the attitude that um City's hierarchy has in the transfer market and and he also alluded to the fact that like it it shows what kind of what kind of goals or intentions they have in their mind in terms of actually winning trophies. So yeah, spending you know, you half guys, a billion dollars in a, a year and a half a is not a, it's not, that's, you know, some pretty good it's attitude. luxury few teams have, yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that would be so nice if we could spend uh, 50 million on a right back, and, well, but we, yeah, we just I mean, settle it, for Zappacosta instead. It's, it's strange and it's kind of like watching real life fantasy just because 
I sort of offhandedly in one of my podcasts, you know, someone had asked me, what do you think we need to address uh, in January, if anything? And I said, really, with how injury prone company is, you probably need another center back. And then poof, you know, I thought maybe Evans, that's a little bit more conservative, I would say. And then poof, we get Laporte. And, uh, you know, that's certainly a luxury we have. Typically, I would expect Chelsea to have that same kind of luxury, but uh, you guys didn't really address the depth itch issue as much as I would have liked in the offseason. So I'm hoping, you know, to keep things competitive that we see something a little bit similar from you guys this summer. Ouch. I don't know if that was a, like a backhanded compliment no, or... We, we weren't happy with the with the transfer window either. Don't worry, Joseph. We were, we were no, just, just as upset putting, with it. <laughs> totally. Like putting myself in – I try to put myself in you know different teams' shoes, like what, what I would like to see if I was a fan of that team. And Chelsea, 100%, it was just depth written all over the place. And I feel like they just came up a little bit short, so I'm hoping that changes over the summer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, All right. Let's uh let's uh, get into this preview uh, while we're here. So, uh, you know, let's first of all, as I usually do, I'm going to go over some stats. Uh, for Man City, currently sitting first in the table with uh, 72 points. Uh, mind the gap right there. Um, with 79 goals scored. Um, and the second most goals scored right now in the Premier League is Liverpool. They have. <laughs> They have 15 less goals than uh, Man City, so that is just like a crazy margin as well. Um, and it's not just on one side of the of the field. They also have only conceded 20 goals, which is uh, tied for the best in the Premier League as well. So doing that on both ends of the field. Um, our record against them uh, on the road in the Premier League, we've uh, played them 72 times, and then uh, we've won 23 times drawn 17 times and have lost 32 times so uh joseph uh take taking your uh man city cap off and kind of putting your unbiased cap on uh what what does chelsea need to do to get sort of like any sort of result out of this match i mean it's really obvious but when you're playing against city you need to score goals <laughs> i mean it's it's inevitable that i think Based, the stats that you just referenced are perfect. It's inevitable that City's going to score goals, so you need to do the same thing. Now, much like what I saw in the Barcelona game uh, when you guys played them, uh, you guys played well against them, but they obviously were bossing possession for a lot of that game, and I think that's fine. But I think you sort of need to find situations and ways to just force errors. And if you really want like a blueprint, I don't. You got to look at the teams who beat us. You know, Wigan. I'll chalk that up as a fluke. <laughs> Liverpool. We got to be like Wigan. Okay, got trust it. me. No, no, no. Nice. Trust me. We we know we know a thing or two about flukes. Yeah. Right. Or like three <laughs> like, things. Like, yeah, that that goal that they scored against us was just kind of weird. But that's a whole different whole different story. But the team that really put it to us was Liverpool. And right off the gate, they're doing what Liverpool do. Uh, high press, they're forcing the city defenders to make passes under duress. And that's where I saw most of the mistakes being made. So I think if you kind of want a blueprint as far as how to approach this game, that's you're going to have to do exactly what Liverpool did against us and just take it to us. I don't know. See, that's the thing, though. I, I, Klopp in general is just a very ballsy manager. And True. he doesn't really he doesn't really change his tactics around for anybody. He doesn't care who if he's playing Barcelona or if he's playing you know a third tier side. So, I mean, knowing knowing Antonio Conte, he's probably going to line up 
like Joseph said, the same way as, you know, we lined up against Barcelona. Um, but but I think, you know, a, a big thing for Chelsea in this game is at least nullifying the threat from deep into midfield. So, I mean, I'm not sure how long Fernandinho is out. Maybe Joseph could clear that up a little bit. But, you know, I mean, regardless, if Fernandinho is playing or if he isn't playing, I mean, they're going to have Gundogan in there. And uh, Gundogan, excuse me. And, uh, and I mean, he's a ball-playing midfielder just like De Bruyne and Silva, and they're all completely interchangeable. Um, so I think nullifying a threat from deep into midfield is going to be absolutely crucial. What, depending on how Conte decides to do it is still up to question. So, I mean, I know the second half, we, we did a pretty effective job on Messi, bar the goal, um, when we put N'Golo Conte on him, just kind of chasing him around everywhere. But, you know, you have a little bit different of a threat when it comes to Man City, mainly because their system's completely positionless, right? So... Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to be man-marking a guy like Kevin De Bruyne, I mean, you're going to be from one corner flag to He's the next. everywhere. Yeah, and and it's not only that, you know, um, Barcelona started out pretty defensive against us. I mean, they had Paulinho and Busquets in there. You guys are a lot more mobile. You got David Silva and Gundogan or Fernandinho um, if he's healthy. So, I mean, just I, – I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe Joseph could clear it up. Um, how long is Fernandinho out again? I mean, I, I know he I know he did his hammy in. Yeah, I've been looking into that, and I couldn't really find anything definitive, but everything I have been reading, it it sounds like I'm expecting him not to be playing in the Chelsea game, and that, for me, is a really big problem, because trying to think about who can step in that pos- into that position and fulfill that role that he plays, I'm not sure that we even have that guy on the team. Yes, we have an embarrassment of riches, but... I- I just don't think we have a replacement for him, to be 100% honest. Are you, are you guys confident in general about Gundogan? Because I know, like, when he's in form, I mean, he's fantastic. And I'm saying that from a completely non-biased <laughs> perspective. But Sure. But, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously your other options, Yaya Toure, which we're not expecting <laughs> to see at all. Yeah, um, it, it's weird. I, I don't – I don't – I'm not, like, crazy about Gundogan. I mean, he's – don't get me wrong. He, he's obviously a, a very talented human being, but – um as far as the role that I think he fulfills best, I think we have people on the roster that will probably, that should and probably will start ahead of him. Now, do we do something like play him in Fernandinho's role, but then that requires uh, typically Kevin De Bruyne to play back a little bit farther? I've seen that this season, but against a team like Chelsea, I, I don't think we can, I don't think we can depend on that and, and still get a positive result. Mm. See, that's kind of interesting because I, I really didn't know where City fans stood with Gundogan because he's either brilliant or he's a non-factor in the game. So it's just kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting to see from that perspective. And, you know, De Bruyne dropping a little bit deeper that Gundogan, when Gundogan is in, is even more of an interesting point for me because, you know, you would think a guy with a range of passing like Gundogan would allow De Bruyne to push further up the pitch to express himself. But then again, I mean – he lacks into the same defensive qualities that Fernandinho has. But, I mean, just kind of going off of De Bruyne in general, you know, we, we talk about Conte possibly using this whole man-marking thing and, and, and treating mm-hmm. De Bruyne the same way that we treated Messi. I mean, has anyone tried to man-mark De Bruyne or Silva or possibly both of them, and, and has it worked at all? I mean, I'm sure they've tried in what I've noticed in that regard. I can't say that it's worked with any sort of great level of success. When we're in the final third, especially when you're talking about Silva and De Bruyne, 
like you said before, they're quite literally free, it seems like anyway, to do whatever they please. So if they do try to do, do I think that's a terrible idea? No, I, I think it's a great idea. But, uh, you know, Conte is going to have his hands full and he's going to be chasing him all over the pitch. And with them interchanging constantly, I good luck on keeping track of both of them or at least one of them at a time. I mean, that's going to be a that's going to be a tall order if, if that's what they're they're trying to do. Yeah, you know, I, I guess a big thing for me, like heading into this game, I know it's a little bit off topic, but but like the whole idea of just taking advantage of tired of tired legs. So I mean, we really don't know how Pep is going to rotate the squad from Thursday <laughs> to a Sunday match which is very short turnover. I mean, obviously we'll have over a week, um, a week break, but you know, I, I think if there's not too much rotation in a team, we could possibly go at city. This similarly to the way, uh, Liverpool did when you guys traveled to Anfield. But again, man, like and me and Sam are going to talk about this on the, on the pod, but against man United, like we just, we could have gone for it. And I feel like Con- that's, that's like one of Conte's weaknesses as a coach is, is, figuring out whether he wants to go for a match or just sit back. And I feel like he just neutralizes instead and it's just completely counterproductive. So, I mean, if you guys are tired, I said, well, why the fuck not? Like, let's just go for it. But I mean, I guess the jury's still out as to whether, you know, what kind of team he's going to put out there. I mean, from a man city perspective, um, I know, I know that, you know, in the Chelsea world, at least there's been a huge hoopla over Murato or Giroud or possibly playing Hazard as a false nine. I mean, as a Man City fan, which who do you want to or <laughs> who do you not want to see in our front Ugh. three? I mean, <laughs> that's a great question. Honestly, that's probably something I had written down because just sort of in preparation for this and thinking about it, um, I can't figure out who you're going to play up top. I no, mean, well, well, we can't either. That's the thing, right? Like, <laughs> that's kind of uh, that's kind of Chelsea's de- deal this year. It's like. Giroud probably isn't a guy that you want on the pitch for more than, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, something like that. Uh, uh, Murata, he seems like he he will potentially be a great player one day. I don't think he's there quite yet. Uh, flashes of greatness, but then at other times he just seems to ghost or he seems to be making some pretty wild mistakes. Um, and I don't know. I How do you guys feel about that that front three of something more like a Liverpool where it's Hazard, Willian, and Pedro. Do you guys feel comfortable with that against City? Because if I had to pick something, gun to my head, I would probably go with those three and sort of, like I said, mimic something that Liverpool is doing. Well, to be completely honest, uh, I mean, I think the way that our team is set up, uh, playing with, you know, a, pretty wide with, you know, two wing backs in a formation, um, you'd think that we would be wanting to, you know, whip the ball in and have a striker in there. But even when we have a striker in there, it just doesn't seem like there are any like like there aren't enough balls played in to for like a big striker to put in. So for me, I feel like if we play with Hazard um, as a false nine, it really doesn't put us at any disadvantage because if we had a big striker in there anyway, he wouldn't be, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities that we've been giving him because I mean just the guys that we've had playing as the wingers and our wing back position lately have not been um, up to par with uh, feeding feeding the guy in the middle. So you could I just mean, you could just saw him just name drop man. Just say Victor Moses. Victor Moses, <laughs> thank yeah, Victor Moses. <laughs> name drop. Marcos Alonso, you guys have no definitely love not. For Victor Moses. No, I I 
it's it, i mean kind of this season definitely it's been a lot different last season he um conte let's just say conte got the very best out of him possible because i mean if we're being honest he isn't uh you know world world class player but um i think conte just has such a great ability of making you know subpar players look world class um appear um that's my key word but um you know when Willian has just been in amazing form lately, so I think he's a lock. Um, Pedro, just uh, I mean, I, I like him. I, I I do like him starting. I hate him coming off the bench. He's one of the just it just disappoints <laughs> me. Like when when we want need a boost of energy and we put him in. Like I, I don't know. I mean, Zach, do you, do you agree with me with that that point? I'm I'm still like confused as to whether or not I could we could use Pedro as an impact player or not because whenever he comes off the bench it just doesn't seem like he impacts the game at all like it exactly, yeah. it always takes him a good 10 or 15 minutes to get the wheels running but I mean if Conte does decide to go with a false nine which I hope we don't see personally and I'll get I'll get to it in a second but if Conte does opt to go into a false nine I only really see one positive and that positive is dropping Pedro into the midfield and just kind of creating a three man wall in the middle of the pitch um just like we did against Barca that worked out perfectly and you know going back to my original point I hope we don't go with uh Hazard as a false nine because I mean you're going to go into the arguably the toughest stadium this year um, against the best team, hands down, um, you need to put your best players in their best positions where they could contribute the most. And Hazard hasn't done that as a false nine. And it's not a knock on him. Um, it's just he's a winger. And he he needs to be playing out wide where he could cut in, where he has the option to take someone down the line, where he has the option to link up with a big target man who could hold off the ball and allow him to run into spaces in and beyond. But whether or not he goes with Morato or Giroud, I mean, that's a whole different question. Like, you can make the argument for both, right? I mean, going back to what Sam said, if we're going to be whipping balls into the box, Giroud is perfect because, you know, you give him one chance all match and he's probably going to put it in. But mm -hmm. if you go with a guy like – but also with Giroud, he doesn't have any pace. So if we're really going to be playing on the counter, that means it's going to be a two-man counter attack um, with Willian and, and Hazard. If we go with Murata, obviously he has pace, but I just don't think his head is right. Um if, if I was the manager, if I was Conte, I wouldn't even be thinking about starting Murata um, now that I think about it. Like I would actually go with Giroud um, just so he can mix it up a little and, and put the City defenders on their heels. I think I think City is, isn't invincible, and, and that's a huge – I know it's a huge thing to say this season in particular. But you know, you look at their defensive uh, – at their defensive record, only 20 goals conceded, right? Um but you also take into consideration how much possession they actually have during the matches. So, like, I mean, they're somewhere between what? On average, 65% possession, 60 to 65%, I want to say. And that's me being kind of conservative about it. I mean, when City is put on their heels, I feel like they are vulnerable at points. And, like, I'm not completely sold on John Stones as a as a defensive-minded center back. Um, I, I mean, I know he's a ball-playing center back, but still, um, defensively, he has his flaws. Otamendi might be one of my least favorite players in the league just because of his haircuts. <laughs> um, but like they're pretty bad. <laughs> they're they're pretty bad. But like you know, I think a guy like Giroud will be perfect because Otamendi's not very tall to begin with. He's yes, he's good in the air, but he's not very tall. And John Stones isn't very physical. Um, so I think Giroud will have the most delight out of you know out of 
between him and Murata um, going up against those two center backs. So, I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's a shout. You know, maybe I sound idiotic or insane, um, but the way this season's going, like. Why would we play Murata? Just look where his head is at. He's on the floor crying half the time. I'm gonna. I'm. I don't know why I'm ranting about this now because I'm gonna get into it. You know, when me and Sam record the Man City review. I mean, the Man United review. But I would go with Giroud personally. That's. But to Sam's point, though, don't you? Are you concerned at all about you know the service not being there for sort of more of a, a target man type player? And you had even mentioned that, which I think is a great point, is. However you spin the lineup for City, we're going to be tired. And I think that's why I'm a little bit more convinced, again, putting my putting my Chelsea cap on, um, sort of coming out with the, the all-out speed attack. It's kind of like a, I don't know, it's like a, a FIFA dream or something like that, where it's just super quick players playing up top and might be able to take advantage of the fact that at least – a few of our defenders are going to be playing two games within a very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And again, like against Barca, I, I even texted Sam the, the second the Barcelona lineup lineups came out. I said, Conte lost the plot. It's over. And, <laughs> and then, you know, lo and behold, after the 90 minutes were up, I mean, I was like, shit, that was That's actually, good. Yeah, good call. yeah. I mean, <laughs> That was that, that was a good call. He got it spot on. So I mean, if he goes with a false nine again, defensively, I'll be more comfortable playing with a false nine just because I know that he's going to drop one of Pedro or Willian into the midfield just to kind of shore things up and and get rid of any nonsense. Um, but at the same time, you know, we do we don't accommodate Hazard playing as a number nine in the sense that. Whenever Hazard does play the number nine, we're always playing the ball to his head. We're never playing the ball to his feet. We're always trying to play it in front of him. Hazard's not the type of person that's going to outrun somebody for for a through ball. He's not going to win anything in the air. And it just seems that every single time that we play with this false nine, the team struggles to adapt to not having a big man up top. So, I mean, I'm kind of old school, though. So, like, you know, I'm always going to prefer having a natural, just classic big boy in the middle who could just head the ball and just shove people and, 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 you know, cause up a stir. So, I mean, I mean, that's why I go with Giroud over Murata. Um, but I mean, out of those three options, right, you got the false nine, you got Murata up top and you got Giroud up top. I think it's, you know, I would rather go with Giroud and then as a plan B go to the false nine. I, I don't, I don't put Murata anywhere near this game. I just don't think his head's right and I'm going to get into it, but yeah, no way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joseph, uh, so I I know I didn't watch the the Arsenal uh game the Carabao Cup final, but um I saw that uh, Sane got subbed out in the thirty third minute. Um, I know he 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 had an injury not too long ago, couple like maybe last month. Um, did was did he get hurt again, or what? What's the is there any con- injury concern with him? No, everything I've been seeing about him, um, he's fine. It's really just the two. The two major ones are Fernandinho and then Delph being uh, out due to red cards. And then Benjamin Mendy's out, but he really hasn't been around all season. So, uh-huh. um, no, everything I'm seeing, it's thumbs up for Sané and uh, Sterling will also be available too, which probably bodes pretty well in our favor. Yeah, bad news for us, definitely. Because, I mean, Leroy, yeah, yeah. Leroy Sané, I mean, uh, he has become one of my favorite players in the Premier League, uh, not on Chelsea. I uh, just love the way he plays, his energy, and uh, I mean, and I'm a I'm a 
Germany fan for my international team. Um, there you so go. So I'm really excited to see what he does in the World Cup if he makes the the roster, which I think he will. Um, but I think that he is a great find for you guys. Um, he's one of my favorite players on the on your guys' team. Um, but do do you do you have any idea of what kind of? Uh, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but what what kind of lineup would you expect in uh our match as opposed to the Arsenal match coming up on Thursday? <laughs> this was tough because to be honest, I feel like I feel like it's going to be pretty difficult managing these two games being as close as they are together. Um obviously Ederson has to be in goal. If Bravo plays, then I'm not even going to watch the game. It's over. You guys won. Congratulations. <laughs> he he played against um, Arsenal though, right? And that Carabao Yeah, but Cup anybody final. could play against anybody could play <laughs> he, against Arsenal. He though. he did and he actually had a pretty nice save against Aubameyang, but then, you know, fast forward 20 30 minutes and he's doing karate kicks whiffing on the ball while there's, you know, people charging down the field. It was he always he makes the games more exciting. I'll give him that. Um, <laughs> because oh, because but instead I of you guys just wrecking, instead of you guys just wrecking the other team, you actually have a fear that you might lose. Is that uh, that's yeah, why it makes it exciting? Yeah. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah, he'll just yeah. he'll drop at least one or two crazy I know, passes. I know exactly how that feels. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as long as Bravo's not in the picture, I think we're in good shape there. I think the real trick. We can probably, you guys could probably predict yourselves like who the top three are going to be. Uh, the more tack minded midfielders, it's probably going to be Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. Um, I don't really know, to be honest with you, what we're going to do with our center back situation. If you go like the conservative route, maybe you probably split up company and Otamendi between the two games. Um, company did play really well, like extraordinarily well against Arsenal, so maybe you play him again in that game he seemed to actually cancel out uh Obama yang speed somehow some way even though he's uh he's not a young man anymore um so i'm thinking probably like some combination like otamendi and stones which i think to your point earlier about stones probably bodes really well in your favor and if you are going to be playing someone like Giroud, that's I, I like Giroud against a combination of stones and otamendi i'm sure you guys could agree with that Oh yeah, I would like that. <laughs> so I think. Um, and, go, sorry, go and ahead. then no, yeah, the last one, which I'm, I was having a ton of trouble with, to be honest, trying to figure out. I, I don't see him starting Yaya Toure in the midfield against you guys. I think Ooh, if he is nice. going to start somewhere for the first time in the league this season, it's probably going to be against Arsenal, um, which then probably would put Gundogan in that position, which again makes me kind of nervous. So. I think any way I spin it between these two games, it's not going to be the sort of peak, peak Manchester City team that I'm used to seeing. And you, I think you guys could definitely capitalize it on this game. I think I think it's funny just thinking about the player that Yaya, Yaya Toure has been um, in his career to think that it's kind of a, an insult to your team uh, when you say, yeah, we might play Yaya Toure against them because uh, <laughs> it's not really <laughs> something you need to think about. It's just crazy. Um looking at him now and we're just... very sorry go ahead oh. yeah um zach uh, i think at this point this is uh we usually give our score predictions our, our options are plentiful but i'm sorry you you got cut off um you want you want to you want to say what you were saying again oh sure no i was just i was just commenting on the fact that you know regardless of who we're choosing 
we're definitely spoiled, but I think we did kind of uh, get a little sketchy there for a minute. But I think to your point, yeah, Torre, he's done so much for us, but he's probably just not the same player that he used to be. So unfortunately, I think you do probably have to slot him in against the, the weaker team, in which in this case, it's obviously Arsenal. So yeah, uh, I mean, sorry, go ahead, Zach. No, 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 I was just gonna get into uh, I was just gonna get into the score predictions because yeah. now that you mention the likelihood of Stones and Otamendi possibly being partnered up, um, I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm not gonna predict the loss. I'll probably go ahead and uh, I mean, I guess I'll get this started. I'm gonna go ahead and just predict a one-one from an optimistic standpoint. Nice. Um, if I think if we could get any result there, I think it's a positive. Um, especially considering that you know Tottenham and Liverpool, who are also in the in the top four chase, um, also have to play us. I, I know Tottenham has to play us in City, I believe, and uh, or vice versa. I don't I, I don't know, but I all I know is that every other team has two tough games left against top four teams, and uh, this will actually be one of the last ones. So um, I know we still have Liverpool to play and and Spurs to play, but Spurs we seem to have in our pocket as of late and. Uh, and Liverpool, you know, let's just hope one of them gets injured. <laughs> yeah, I would never, I would never hope that again upon someone. But uh, I mean, it well, would, it would, yeah, Loki would hurt. Yeah, Loki. Um, Joseph, <laughs> you want, you want to give your prediction next? <sighs> I think, uh, I think with these games being so close and us probably not being able to roll out our our best lineup, I'm gonna. Say two two. Ooh, very nice. Uh, well, it's been customary for me for the past couple of weeks to predict uh Chelsea winning four nil. So I just got to do the same thing. Oh my! And we're gonna win four oh nil. <laughs> Damn, it's man. that well. confidence, man. It's definitely uh from everything that we've talked about. You would think that uh, I, so I much confidence after a Barcelona <laughs> yeah draw and a United and a shit United <laughs> loss. Yeah, you, yeah, you'd think that I would predict a loss, but no. We're going to we're going I like it, man. You got to go in confident. I I like that. I don't, I don't hate on that at yeah, all. Yeah, completely rational confidence as well, uh given yeah. given what we've seen the past couple of weeks. <laughs> Yikes. So, um anyways, Joseph, we we really appreciate you coming on the pod, dude. It, it's it's always good talking to you and uh for those of you that are listening, um especially if you're American, go check out Joseph's podcast again. It's Balls to the Wall. Um, you could go follow him on Twitter at B2TWPod. Um, again, it's at B2TWPod. Um, Joseph runs a podcast that's very unique in its style. So he doesn't only talk about Manchester City, even though he's their supporter. He talks about the Premier League as a whole, and occasionally he dives into uh, some other random topics. Um, but he's very knowledgeable. And uh, if I had to say anything about it, if if you're into stats and you're really into analytics, um, Joseph's your guy. Uh, go check him out. He's awesome. Follow him on Twitter. Again, thank you, Joseph. Um, it's been fun, that man. Was, we got to like do this. The nicest, that was the nicest thing I think anyone's ever said about me, Zach. <laughs> oh, see? Oh. It's actually and, it's, it's way nicer than anything he's ever said about me, too. So, uh, oh, that's terrible. It sounds like <laughs> it's, yeah. it, I, I kind of sounded like some talking about Michi Bachuai, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. No, w- without <laughs> all the you, fuck are yous. Are you a Michi fan or not a Michi fan? <laughs> no, I, that was a, that was a tongue tongue in cheek kind of a comment. I, one of you guys is a hater, and then the other no, one is a fan. No, it's, gotcha. I don't think either so, of us is a fan, but I think he's, he's scoring been... phantom goals over there in Dortmund. That's just my humble opinion. Oh God, I, I really don't <laughs> want to talk about how Michi just decides to become a, a world beater at Dortmund. 
How about this? How about this? My uh, my parting comment will actually be a question because um, not that I think you guys meant to, but even asking me to pick uh, the city lineup was in a, in itself a curveball just because I feel like it's so difficult at this point, this current situation we're in, the certain injuries we have. I'm going to ask you guys against City, who are the two people in your midfield? Because, I, I mean, Conte's there, of course. Mm-hmm. Who's the other guy? That's a good. That's a great question. Because I mean, I it differs. This, it differs. Like, like whenever, like, just I think Conte wakes up the morning of the match and he's like, "All right, I'm I'm either gonna play Fabregas or I'm gonna play uh, drink water." And normally he doesn't play drink water. Um, he goes with Fabregas. And when when Bakioko was healthy, he played him. Um, but it's definitely. I mean, we we have a lot of injuries right now in the midfield, so. It's it's so up in the air at this moment, but I think that against against Man City, we're gonna see Fabregas start. If we if we play with a target man, I see Fabregas starting just because he's able to loop the balls in. So you know whoever is up top could possibly hold it up and play off of. I well, I, I hope I, I hope we water? see Drinkwater. Personally, I, I go with Drinkwater. I think he, we're gonna talk about it, but like I I thought he did fantastic against Man United. I thought he was like the unsung hero of the match. So. Cool. No, that that was my uh, that was my biggest question mark about Chelsea. That's a that's a tough call. Yeah, yeah, it is. So I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. If he plays Fabregas, you know, I I might have to watch, you know, through through my through the holes in my hands because my hands will be over my face. But uh, you know, whatever he decides to go with, in Conte we trust. Um, I hear you. So well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me on. Very much appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Joseph. Thank you. Any anytime you guys want to do this again, you guys are both more than welcome to come on my podcast. Uh, always a good time talking to y'all, and I enjoy what you guys are doing. So please keep up the good work. Oh, Likewise. appreciate it. Likewise. All right, man. Sounds good, All right, gentlemen. We'll, we'll talk to you it. soon. All right, so that wraps it up with Joseph again. Uh, big thanks. I mean, that's just that's just good stuff. It's always great having someone on the pod who could just kind of come in and 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 you know have proper banter with us, but also logical banter at that. So uh, I know um, I know that's much appreciated on our end. Um, and 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 Joseph is a really nice guy. Make sure to go follow him again. Um, we'll probably be doing something like that soon. Um, we're planning something actually for the transfer window in the summertime. So look out for that. We'll keep you guys posted. Um, look, it's been a tough week, and this is going to sound kind of like a public service announcement. But if you're a Chelsea fan and you're on Twitter and you try to challenge me on – you try to challenge me for challenging someone, for challenging Murata, like <laughs> – does that make any sense? Like I had someone call me out for telling weird. people to stop calling out Murata. This is for all of those people, right? Because some we have so many listeners. Fuck you so with many. two middle fingers, right? Fuck you with two middle fingers. You support Chelsea to the death or you don't support them at all. That's the way this club works. And that's exactly how I'm going to sign off. So until next week, hopefully we pick up some points. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, I don't know if you want to finish off by saying fuck you to all of our listeners. But uh, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. I'm not <laughs> saying fuck you to all our listeners. I'm saying fuck you to the boo boys who like to boo and who like to shit on our players and criticize them without using any logic whatsoever. Like we talked about Victor Moses. But – we also 
backed it up. He's not a wingback. We talk about Murata diving and acting like a little child, but we backed it up. There's a player in there. But people who go out there and say they're total shit, they should be out of the club, they have no business wearing the shirt, that's fucking nonsense. I don't buy it for one second. So I hate to be angry on this podcast, man. But anyways, um, <laughs> that should be the end of this week's pod. Uh, again, thank you guys for the ones that are listening. Um, we have had so much Twitter activity the last week. It's been awesome. We're going to make sure that we stay on top of it um, in the future as well. Um, and until next time, keep the blue flag flying high.